Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is part 14 of a series, uh, Why I'm Catholic. It's called Whole, Both Body and Soul, and I'm going to talk about Mass today. Mass is only boring when you don't understand it. I'll start out with a personal anecdote. I was once watching Monday Night Football at an airport while I ate a quick dinner between flights, and a man from the UK was in the bar, and he asked me what exactly the teams were trying to accomplish on the field. So briefly, I tried to explain American football to him and the ideas around moving the football 10 yards using four downs. And after a few minutes, he finished his beer and said, well, it looks like a stupid game to me. And I laughed since I didn't really disagree. I mean, most games are kind of odd and even stupid if you step back and really think about them. In, in basketball, we try to throw a ball through a metal ring. In baseball, we use a stick to hit a, a little white ball, and then we run around and touch things that we pretend have magic powers of safety. And whoever is good at these games, we treat them like gods of this world. I, I didn't point out to the English gentleman, the dude, that rugby and cricket looked just as stupid to me as, as American football did to him because... I assume there's far more nuance and art to rugby and cricket, and I just fail to appreciate them because I grew up watching football and baseball. Once when I was in London, I watched cricket in a bar and observed people getting really excited, and it was like the third day of a match between Pakistan and Australia or something, and uh, I watched the people get excited, and it seemed really ridiculous to me, but it's obviously a stick trying to hit a little ball just like baseball. Um, likewise, I don't understand hockey that well, despite living in a state where many people are obsessed with it. Hockey bores me, but I understand there's far more happening on the ice, ice, ice than I understand or appreciate because many people assure me it is beautiful if you understand it, and I know exactly what they mean by that. What we don't understand, we like to mock, uh, especially if it has a border or a fence around it. There's something called sour grapes. Sour grapes is a phenomenon that I've certainly known personally, where if I don't understand something, I'll downplay it. Or perhaps if I'm not allowed into something, I'll consider it not worth striving after. But for that which we don't understand, um, we'll mock it as stupid or childish. Um, I've written about this a fair amount here, especially in terms of prayer, where the modern doubter mocks prayer as silly, as like talking to your imaginary friend, or the Sky Fairy, um, while they will never give it a try, and I mean a real try um, themselves, and therefore never really learning to understand or even play the game of prayer, which is um, something that we all are after, like the presence of God in our lives. Um, the funny thing is that when we end up with that attitude, we, we lock ourselves out of beauty when we refuse to try prayer, and the same thing will happen when we actively mock what happens at a Catholic Mass because you miss out. Um, there's a bad idea in the church to make Mass more exciting or more engaging. And on this topic, there's a long-standing debate over how the Holy Mass should be conducted, which has raged for decades. Arguments over the Vatican II can be found everywhere online um, as the Latin Mass and the Novus Ordo uh, provoke fierce commentaries. And I'm a child of the late of the 80s and 90s, and I've, I have attended various masses that definitely seem to lack reverence. So I appreciate 
the complaints of the defenders of this, um, the mass of the ages or the high mass or the Latin mass, because the first time I actually witnessed one of these, I thought I had walked into the wrong church. I had no idea what was happening, but I knew that something was different and that something had been lost in the reverence used in the tridentine form of the mass. Uh, it was really profound experience, but I have not come to talk about the Latin mass here. I'll save that maybe for another day. Uh, before I move on, though, I must admit that attending a high mass had a profound effect on my sense of what the liturgy could and should be in terms of reverence. Attending the old mass with its seriousness and grand silences exuded a sacredness in every moment. So I don't want to go too far into this, but receiving communion on the tongue, kneeling at the rail in the old style made it obvious that that was indeed like the proper posture for coming to meet the creator who welcomes us to the sacred meal of Thanksgiving. Um, that was, yeah, I won't go too far into that. It, it was not a mass pretending to be entertainment. And it was a group of joyful sinners in love with a welcoming God. And that was the first time I understood why we have these liturgy wars happening. And it makes it difficult to understand why uh, Pope Francis is kind of trying to push that away. Because it really, really is a beautiful thing. But that's for another day. What I mean to focus on here is the Mass itself and why it's neither intended to be entertaining, nor should it ever be the main goal, entertainment. I mean, if you want entertainment, you can watch Monday Night Football or the hundreds of available streaming services with the endless shows. Uh, the Holy Mass is not entertainment, nor should it ever be considered as such. For anyone who thinks it needs to be more exciting, they're merely asking for trouble because that is a losing game. Uh, the world outside of the church is in constant battle for entertainment and drama. We specifically go to the mass for a meal with God, for non-competition, for communion. Now, I will say it is always appreciated to have a good speaker who can deliver a good homily. But again, that is not the main purpose of the mass. The homily is a part of the mass, but the sermon, the message is not the main thing. It's definitely important. Uh, religion cannot be entertainment. So if, if your religion sees itself as a competition with the culture, where the number of people attending is the true is the mark of success, it becomes just another sideshow, a form of entertainment, and one that will lose. In short, faith in Christ is not a popularity contest. I don't even think faith can be fully authentic if you're only there because it's cool, because Jesus assured us that people would hate his apostles and disciples. The cool people of the ancient world were the Herodians, the Romans, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and they all got together and killed Jesus because he was a buzzkill to them. The non-religious world has ample op options for entertainment. Sex, money, power, victory, contests. Now that's what that's what I call entertainment, right? That's what most people call entertainment. The Super Bowl is entertainment. It's a full deck of sex, money, power, and worship of pseudo-demigod athletes. It's the most, it is the most pagan feast in the history of mankind. I hope Americans understand that, but I don't think we do really. But anyway, if that's what you want, uh, then you, you can get it anywhere and all the time. But that is not what the Mass offers. The beauty of the Holy Mass is that you do not go there to get something. You do not go there to be entertained. You go there to give something. You go there to give thanks, 
And for a good primer on how to attend Mass, there's a link in this uh, of Father Mike Schmidt's Pray the Mass Like Never Before. That's the title. In fact, um, you could just go watch his video and forget about this blog or podcast if you really want greater insight and follow lots of stuff from Father Mike. Um, he's a great speaker and um, educator on the faith. So uh, any religion that tries to be cool or trendy, it has a short shelf life because no one needs it and no one wants it. Fireworks are not needed. That's for the 4th of July. A thousand options exist already in trendy entertainment and fads. So for anyone that believes the Catholic Mass must be more modern and hip, they have missed the point entirely. There is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the Mass is about if you are attending in order to get something for yourself instead of to give yourself to God. Even the structure of the Mass walks this out for us if we pay attention. So here's my um, six points of the Mass in a nutshell. And obviously this is just me off the cuff. But, okay, number one, we bring our sinful selves and ask for God's mercy, giving all glory to Him. That's kind of how we open it up. Number two, we listen to God's Word and try to understand the message. We get a little homily in there. It's nice. Hopefully it's not too bad. Maybe it's good. Three, then we recite our beliefs and offer gifts. We bring what little we have to God and God does the rest. Bread and wine comes forward and we donate some money if we got some in our pocket. Then we test the faith. So talk is cheap. Your money is no good from here on out. Number four, the act of faith in the Eucharist is where the leap must be taken weekly or daily if you go to daily mass. Number five, then we give thanks to God. Eucharist means thanksgiving. The Eucharist means thanksgiving. It's always important to remember. Six, we are commanded to go forth to love God and to serve others. That's the flow. So we come in as sinners. We offer what we have. We are welcomed by the creator of the universe to this meal. We receive Christ. We go out into the world recharged, ready to love God and love others, fulfill the two commandments, glorifying God in our lives. That's the goal. That's kind of the point. Now, to observe the consecration of the hosts and step forward and say, I believe this is the body of Christ. When you say amen, that is the test of faith. To believe that you have ingested the glorified and risen body of, of God requires a total surrender of the intellect and our free will. And that is how faith is defined in the catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, that would be paragraph 143, which is always a good read. If you haven't read the catechism and you just read the first 200 or 300 paragraphs, it is an excellent read, um, and it's very good writing. So um, I always recommend it to people because it answers so many questions that we have about how do we understand God. All right, so this kind of surrender of self to God, this brings real freedom because we're surrendering ourselves. Um, it's total freedom. Um, the reason people who try to use like LSD or alcohol or uh, they fail to, to really get freedom um, is because they're kind of like evil Knievel trying to jump the Snake River in Idaho on a rocket-powered motorcycle. You can't blast your way to God. Experiencing God cannot be bought or achieved with enough mind-altering experiences. The spiritual life requires a journey into the valley, into humility, and kneeling is the only way to know to reach God and to know him. It's the great paradox. The whole idea of kneeling is to deflate the ego entirely, shoving it aside in favor of God. To be blessed by the Creator means submitting to Him. 
I know a man who says, I don't kneel. Um, and he has a very worldly idea of what God is. And as for me, I know that either I will kneel to God each morning and night, or God will eventually kneel me in a way that I don't like. Um, I've said this before on here. Humility is when you kneel before God, and humiliation is when God kneels you. The resulting outcome is the same, but how you get tapped by God differs greatly in the choice. Modern people don't like kneeling. We've been indoctrinated to believe in ourselves. The, the saying of youth for me everywhere you went was believe in yourself. But kneeling purposefully lowers reason and ego in order to elevate faith in God to the highest place in your mind, body, heart, and soul. The beauty of Catholicism is that you get to keep your reason as science and the church are fully compatible. Don't let people fool you about this. And by surrendering to God, you get to love yourself as God loves you. This is, again, the great paradox of faith, and it's a rule of spiritual physics. In order to go up, you must go down. In order to be reborn, you must die to yourself. In short, we go to Mass to give ourselves to God. But lo and behold, in return, God gives himself to us. Now, that is the only transaction I will ever need from God. Not money, not fame, not food, not my job, not my health, not people, not anything. All of that can be taken, and my prayer is that I will only stay close to God and will do so through communion with him in the Eucharist. You know, people should be clamoring to receive the host, the Eucharist, because it is God sharing himself with us. When you go to communion without the baggage of your intellect and free will, you will know what it means to have the faith of a child, and that's what we're called to do. When I stop trying to mold God to my plans and I am molded into his plan, that's when things start to go well. This, this is letting go of everything but God. As for earthly things, we must think like Job, the book of Job, who after losing everything could still say, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Bless the name of the Lord. I do love the King James in certain, certain lines like that. Giveth, taketh, bless the name of the Lord. That is the daily miracle of the Mass. It is never to be entertainment. Witnessing an irreverent mass may be a leading cause of tooth decay. No, I'm just kidding. A leading cause of dying faith. Because when you go to an irreverent mass, it's like a bad sugary syrup that leaves you unfulfilled and feeling dull all over. It's like a, um, I think it's, I don't know, when you go to a sappy mass or kind of a rock concert, when it's like eating a Jolly Rancher and then your mouth is just all blah afterwards like your teeth are wearing a sweater um now the same thing if you go to the mass without knowing what is happening you will be like the man from from the uk watching monday night football or like me watching cricket and this is why those who understand the mass and believe do not like applause or cool new introductions on how the worship is done um there's people who often say i left the church because i wasn't being fed you hear this a lot from ex-Catholics or people who have kind of strayed or fallen away as I, you know, I, I guess I can understand it because I fell, fell away for a long time and I didn't call it not being fed. I just didn't feel like it, it was meaningful. I didn't really understand it. Um, but we never, it's often that we never understood the mass in the first place because you don't go to mass to be f fed by the priest's sermon. And the, the mass is not about you or me. That's probably the most important thing to understand. 
the mass is not about you. Um, in fact, it's, that's one of the things I try to remind, uh, life is not about me. Life is supposed to be about God and others. So understanding that the mass is not about me, that's the, the great thing. And it, it's, it cuts to the heart of this. It, it inverts this whole world of believe in yourself, um, that we've been taught for our whole lives. The, the answer is believe in God, not yourself. And then you get then you do get something for yourself, oddly enough, if you stop believing in yourself. It's weird, but it works. So we go to Mass bringing what little we have. Um, really, we I bring nothing but my sins and a willingness to believe and deserving nothing. I get fed by God himself. That's the miracle of the loaves and fishes in a replay every week where we bring very little to the table and God provides the rest. If it's entertainment you want, you can get a sermon on YouTube or from a podcast. There are many great, there's great entertainment everywhere, but those speakers are not the Eucharist. Your computer or your AirPods cannot serve up a host to your ears at the end of a sermon online, nor can technology consecrate a host. Since phones are not ordained in the only church that has this succession of the apostles, Body and soul are required for the mystery of the Mass. You have to be there in person, okay? And I will also mention that um, the Eastern Orthodox has has the Eucharist in the same way the sacraments are honored between the Catholic Church and the Eastern one. I know there's a whole bunch there, so I'm not even going to go to it, and I didn't even say that correctly, so I'll just leave it as is. But the sacraments require an in-person experience. It can't be done through your ears on sitting on your couch, uh, you cannot get the Eucharist anywhere else but at the hands of an ordained priest who is in the line of grace from the apostles right up to today. And this is where people get off the Catholic bus. Um, terms like transubstantiation or laying of hands to pass on the power of consecration. And it's like, what is this, a magic act? But no, no, it's not. It's That is the faith. That is the leap. That is the formula. It is not magic, but it works. Um, in fact, here's another catechism paragraph for you to read. 170, we do not believe in formulas, but in those realities they express, which faith allows us to touch. The subtitle of this whole series I'm on is, it's about wholeness of body and soul. That's what you get in the Mass. It is your body and your soul doing both. They are together, and that's what's beautiful. It's also nice if you're in a beautiful church, and I don't live in a city where there are a lot of beautiful churches. Unfortunately, they were all built in the 60s, 70s, 80s. They are not beautiful where I live. The little towns where they built them long ago have beautiful churches. I find that really interesting. The older churches are gorgeous. Um, and I hope we start building beautiful churches again or just keeping those little ones open. But I'm sure a lot of them will close as fewer people go. In any case... We believe because it endures, it works, it lasts, and by placing faith slightly over our reason, we get to keep both faith and reason. You can keep your science and have your Eucharist too, as long as faith edges out reason, reason just by a smidge. So when faith takes the wheel, reason provides the navigation, and it's a beautiful thing to have both, but as soon as reason tries to take the wheel, the car goes off the road. The world laughs at faith as backwards and superstitious, but this is a faith that has that works, and it has lasted for 2,000 years. 
this is the faith that withstood horrors beyond our imagination in, the, in its first 300 years, um, suffering martyrdoms beyond anything we could, we could think of. The rituals of this old religion exist for a purpose, and there's a reason for the ritual. It is an act of faith. There is proof of its power to move people, as seen in the beauty of every cathedral and small town church. Uh, entertainment was never the point. Sermons are not the bread of life. Jesus is. And he said, this is my body. This is my blood. He said, we should do this, represent his sacrifice. Um, there's, there's books on this if you want to read about it. Um, on the flip side, entertainment ages badly. If you don't believe me, go watch any comedy film from the 1960s or 70s and see how funny it is now. Um, spoiler alert, don't watch them. They are no longer funny. Humor doesn't translate. That's why you don't marry the culture or you'll be a widow. That's why the church should never marry the culture, as some of our, oddly enough, bishops and cardinals want, seem to want to do now. I don't understand it. But this is why devout Catholics don't like clapping and a lot of hand-waving at Mass. This is why they usually like silence before and after Mass. Um, noise and clapping and hootering, hooting, hootering, hooting and hollering are fine elsewhere, like at maybe your Bible study or a retreat or in like an evangelization thing, um, but not at Mass. Um, here's a quote from Pope Benedict, who recently passed away, and he was a fellow who really understood the value of a reverent Mass. He said, Wherever applause breaks out in the liturgy because of some human achievement, it is a sure sign that the essence of liturgy has totally disappeared and been replaced by a kind of religious entertainment. Such attraction fades quickly. It cannot compete in the market of leisure pursuits, incorporating as it increasingly does various forms of religious titillation. So that was from On the Spirit of the Liturgy by Joseph Ratzinger. Um, but then why does it have to be so boring? Kids worldwide have wondered this while attending Catholic Mass forever. But it's boring when you don't understand it. It's boring when no one explains to you what it's all about. Consider how it feels uh, to watch a sport you don't know, like my American, um, me watching cricket or the British guy watching American football. What you see appears pointless until you know what's happening and that every single word and action is loaded with symbolism and meaning. Um, if you watch anyone who's a huge football fan and how crazy they get watching their favorite team do well or poorly, um, you can see someone who is kind of in a worship of, of a sport. Um, so yeah, anyway, so again, about the British guy, you know, he, he didn't understand the downs. Most games seem stupid on the face of it, but you know what's happening. It makes sense. Uh, many people observe a board game in the same way. Um, they might see a board game and think it's stupid, but then you sit down and play it. I remember watching Catan and thinking, well, that looks stupid. Then you play Catan and you're like, this is fun. You could say the same with chess or something else. So, um, But like sports and card games or, or some kinds of entertainment, the mass only makes sense once you start playing and understanding it. You have to play to appreciate a game, not read the rule book or just watch in confusion. But sports and card games do not address the gaping, vacuous, never-ending pit in our souls that are, is seeking purpose and meaning. Um, those entertainment and games can plug the void for a bit, just like drugs and alcohol. Uh, but eventually you need something more. 
something to hang on to when you are no longer playing um, or perhaps when you are hungover or when you are, you've made a mistake. Um, staring at a bedroom ceiling at 4 a.m. or sitting in a hospital waiting room or after having a miscarriage or losing a pet or when you are drowning in anxiety or you can't stop scrolling porn or keep yourself from drinking to inebriation. All of those things. Yeah, they don't quite do it. You know, you need something during the hard times um, when you come down off the highs and you need something actually that makes you no longer need the highs of this of the uh, false pursuits, the, the things that you don't really need. The thing about sports and entertainment is that they don't address the core problem. Moreover, they require a good deal of energy to stay in motion. The NFL, I know I talk about football and stuff a fair amount on here, but that's because it's, it's an obsession in America. But it has lasted for over 50 years in America. It was like Super Bowl 53 or something this year, which may seem like a long time. But it has only lasted because of immense marketing and sales efforts and technology to make it cool and sexy. The moment the marketing fails, um, the TV contracts will fade and the stadiums will be empty. Uh, the bread and circuses of modern America only survived because of peace, really, after since World War II, um, at least within the country, um, while we um, bring democracy <laughs> by the sword and by other means elsewhere. But our incredible affluence is what keeps these things afloat. Our desire to fill the spare hours with distractions. Um, our efficiency has allowed odd things like the NFL to spring up and flourish, but like Elvis, it will eventually fade away. It's not going to last forever, okay? Um, the New York Yankees will eventually cease to be at some point. Uh, anyone who has worked in sales knows how hard it is and how much smoke and mirrors is needed and how much bending of the truth, you got to heat it and change it and shape it, is required to keep up the numbers, especially when you're selling a bad product. Um, the product, in the end, must sell itself. Uh, the NFL requires a marketing machine that the ancient world could not fathom. The NFL is a marketing juggernaut. Uh, but there's a reason so much advertising and endorsing and imagery is required, just as there is a reason that boring things like Arm & Hammer baking soda doesn't need a lot of clever pitching. Um, a person buys baking soda one time and it works, and then they keep buying the same product for 40, 50, 60 years. And whether you're wealthy or poor, attractive or ugly, or tall or short, or college educated or deplorable, um, all of these people trust in baking soda and perhaps they trust an arm and hammer because they do the marketing, but they don't need to market like the NFL to, to tell you like baking soda works. Um, we don't need reminders plastered all over the TV or in our mailbox or on our phones. Um, like it's not like Coca-Cola where you don't need Coca-Cola. It's actually not good for you. It's a waste of your money. Um, and that's why they have to advertise so hard, so hard, never ending. I even remember learning in a marketing class in college, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, they have to, they have to market constantly and never, ever, 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 ever stop. Otherwise their product dies. So some things just work and they fulfill a need. Baking soda doesn't oversell its basic capability by promising that you'll be taller or better looking or that all of your dreams will come true. No, the NFL is selling that story. Coke is selling that story. Chevy is selling that story. Baking soda doesn't buy slots on the Super Bowl to tell you that. All of these other things do. 
Now, in the NFL, they tell you if your team wins, you win. And if your team wins, you'll be fulfilled. If your team doesn't win, somehow you've lost. To be happy, your team must win. <laughs> the NFL reminds me of the Bergens in the animated movie Trolls, which was a kid's movie, um, where the Bergens think the only way to be happy is if they eat a troll. And likewise, I know people that may only be happy if the Vikings or the Jets or whoever win the Super Bowl. And you'll hear this line a lot. Well, I can die happy if the Vikes win a Super Bowl. Now, I, to that, I just say, give me a break. Go eat a troll. See if you're happy then. Now, addendum, finally. Eating a troll is not like eating the Eucharist. I'm going to wrap up with troll and Eucharist comparison here. For anyone who might like to link those ideas. Receiving the Eucharist does not implant happiness. It brings us into communion with God. And in eating the consecrated host, we do not kill God as a Bergen would a troll. God cannot be killed. In fact, we've already tried that, and it didn't work because Jesus popped back up on the third day. It's important to recall that the Eucharist is the risen and glorified body of Christ, and we should receive him frequently, as frequently as we can. Again, go back and watch the link to Father Mike's um, video about uh, praying the Mass. And if you're interested, I link to something called Mass of the Ages in here as well, which is an interesting video of how the Mass has changed. But most importantly, go to Mass. Thanks. I'll be back with another episode soon. And no special effects of any kind as the cheapest podcast in the history of uh, Substack and Apple Podcasts continues. Thanks for joining. We'll see you on the next one.